0: One, two, three,
1: four. Welcome, the crazy Chester. Welcome, the crazy Chester. Crazy Chester Radio Hour. My guest today is Paul Asola. Paul is one of my favorite bass players and and people, and uh, he moved here to Nashville a few years ago from New York. And uh, the fact that he was both a member of the Saturday Night Live Band and Levon Helms Band immediately piqued my interest because there's two of the best geeks you can ever get. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a minute too. So, uh, Thank you for being my guest today and welcome.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Andres. You know, um, I've never done this before, so I'm really interested and excited about it.
1: Well, I'm new to this, too, and (laughs) I'm just interested in exploring all of my friends' stories because uh, I'm, you know, privileged to actually know a lot about you and, you know, our fellow musician friends Mm -hmm. just by sharing stories off a microphone and I thought well you know I'm always interested to hearing those stories and some of them are really colorful or interesting or whatever but uh but I need to find a way to share those stories with a little bit of a wider audience so that's what they are trying to do today um you grew up in Connecticut yep yep so what are some of your earliest musical memories what set you off on on this this path you're on um
0: well I, I i played in a band uh, several bands i you know i started music in school and then uh i guess i was playing before the beatles hit i i was playing i was playing the upright bass in in the orchestra in school and then i just wanted to i wanted to rock um so i i got in a in a couple of different bands and and then eventually i got a bass guitar and and i was off but um you know that that, that's where i started i've i know that like so many of my friends you know got excited by the beatles and certainly i was too but i i was in a band i remember being in a band at a rehearsal and um we had heard about the beatles but then i heard want to hold your hand on the radio. And we all go, ah, what is that? You know, so?
1: Yeah, that's a, why I'm here. <laughs> a lot of other musicians mentioned that as a really important point in their musical life. You know, especially this Ed Sullivan performance on February, right? Nine, yeah, seen him on
0: TV, but I, I heard him on the radio first. I mean, I, I remember seeing Elvis on TV. I was real little, um, and that was that, I was real excited by that. I didn't know about the, um, from the waist up business, I didn't know about any of that, you know. I just knew that this guy was, this was really cool. Whatever it was, was really different, and the fact that uh, there was so much excitement about it, and so much excitement against it, whatever it was when Elvis was on once, there was big deal about it. And I think that, that interested me more, you know, yeah, the rebel aspect. Yeah.
1: Do you remember what initially made you pick up a, an upright bass or a bass? Is that anything particular? Why? why you well, chose that you action? know, I
0: in in school, I, I started on the trumpet. And then I changed to the baritone horn then I changed to the tuba I don't know why I was attracted to the low notes but I was um, and then what the the school the te- head teacher of the orchestra um, needed a bass player he was a bass player and he took me aside one day and and went on the big bass. <idelity> Did one of those. Um and I was standing there and said, Do you wanna do that? Do you wanna to learn to do that? Yeah, you know. So he had a bass player. Um that was kinda of how I I you know, I didn't nobody taught me how to play uh boogie woogie at that point, but I, I was I was holding the bass, yeah. yeah.
1: Was was Fancy the first like real band you played in, or did you have a band before that? Yeah, I had bands before that.
0: Um, that you know, we were the first ones that that I made that was in that made a record. Um, but I had plenty of garage bands and uh, um, different bands. We had uh, like in, in high school, I, I I was in a band. Called the Talisman. That was the fir- that was the first band I was in, in high school, and then uh, when I went to college, got in a band, and then eventually a more band. Eventually, Fancy became the the first band that, that made a record.
1: Yeah, and uh, Fancy then turned into the Scratch Band eventually. Yeah. Right? Yep. And. Who are some of the people in that band? Because I know some of those people are still people you Mm -hmm. frequently collaborate with.
0: In Which band?
1: The Scratch band?
0: Scratch band. That was, uh, you know, Christine Ullman, the Beehive Queen, and um, G.E. Smith, and Mickey Curry, and Robert Orsi, and myself.
1: Yeah, and... uh
0: now there were many incarnations, and it actually started from a different band without half of those people. Um, but that was became the scratch band, the the, the main uh, band that was together for the most time and yeah. got the most uh, the biggest level of success. And
1: Mickey Curry obviously you know became Brian Adams' yeah drummer and has been with him for all of Brian Adams' career. G. E. Smith is one of the most, you know, regarded guitar players. Mm-hmm. Christine Alman has made quite the name for herself as an artist mm-hmm. and as a sometime featured singer for the Saturday Nightlife band too. Mm-hmm. So how how was that? I mean, obviously all of you guys had the talent and the the determination to to wanting to turn this into a career, but it's pretty unique still that there's that much talent in a band from not the center city necessarily.
0: It's really uh, was and is a a unique situation uh, because I'm still in contact with with pretty much everyone in the band, with all those people. And um, a lot of us remember each other's birthday um, and you know, and, and like most, most of the bands that I've been in since then and before, I don't know anybody's birthday. I might still be friendly with them. But we all know, I just know when, when uh, I know when everybody's birthday is. Yeah, we And, uh, you know, don't necessarily even contact them on their birthday, but I, I you know, acknowledge that they're a year older
1: <laughs> yeah and uh, a lot of those guys you know you reconnected or you, you had different intersections throughout your career and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute uh after that though you eventually moved to to new york was that around the time you were in a band called the yankees
0: no um the yankees was just like a, a studio a recording band uh, uh, for for me we Um, At one point, um, the manager of the Scratch Band uh, formed this label called Big Sound Records. And um, it was around the time of the punk and new wave uh, music going on. And um, so the Scratch Band was like one of the the bands that recorded at the studio um, all the time. And, And anyhow... So the studio where, um, our manager was centered, um, anyhow, sometimes, somehow they, they hooked up with John Tivin and, and, uh, so that was really Tivin's band. Um, and, uh, I just, Mickey and I just, uh, got called in to play on a bunch of things. They had other people playing too. Yeah. Other drums and bass and, and, uh other stuff
1: one thing that piqued my interest though and I, you might not even remember that but there's a song on that record called somebody like you where you actually you and john have co-writer credit on oh it.
0: i know i didn't know that <laughs> you gotta trace those publishing royalties yeah. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway mm. i just looked at the record currency that's interesting because we never talked about writing together mm-hmm. but but that was another project where you and mickey curry were on mm-hmm. and he obviously is a, is you know world renowned drummer now, but what playing with him and I know you guys are still friends too. Uh, what was the dynamics of that rhythm section when you got to play with him?
0: Um. Well, I remember like um, this is uh, Christine's brother, Victor. Whose uh, name is Victor Steffens, um, was in the, had been in the band before Mickey, and at some point he he left to he wanted to be producing and stuff. So he left, and we got Mickey. Mickey and we we auditioned several people, and Mickey just stood, you know, like miles above anybody that came around to play drums. And they were good drummers, but Mickey just had a thing that he he was. Comfortable to be around and stuff, um, and that's a, a thing uh, I've I have soon you know since discovered um, that um, as well as playing your instrument, everybody's got to be able to play their instrument. But in recording and in uh, interacting with with people, if if you're fun to be around, that that makes makes you let's have let's let's get him in the room, you know. Um, not only is he going to play the drums, but uh, he, he's fun to be around, and and uh, uh, Mickey was—he 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 was, he, he was, a, he was, he was a, a good guy. he Is a good guy, um, and I, you know, as we go on, I'll tell you other people who are, are fun in, to have in the room. But anyway, uh, we just got Mickey in the band, and it, it lifted the band—you know—went up a level level or two right away. Yeah.
1: So through the eighties, you you performed with different people, including John Eddy and Buster Poindexter, mm-hmm. and you also did Broadway type of gigs. Yeah, what were some of the more memorable gigs through the eighties?
0: Um, well, the ones that you mentioned, uh, John Eddie, um, uh, is like he's a songwriter who lives in town here, although I haven't seen him um he's a really good songwriter and he, he was uh he, i discovered he lived when he he was from new jersey lived in new jersey um and he was like famous there you know he had like so many people came to, to see him um it was like that was the first experience for me of being with somebody that girls went crazy for this guy you know he never got to be really famous but he was famous in, in all along the Jersey Shore, um, and it, it was pretty incredible. Um, that I loved that uh, playing playing. I you know at that point I was already living in Manhattan, um, and uh, playing with Buster, too. Uh, it's really he he is David Johansson Buster extra. and. Um, uh, playing with those guys I guess that was kind of the um, m- highest profile gig that I'd had up to that point
1: and that um, was such a fun band with the horns and yeah, everything
0: yeah and I was actually never in the band I was uh, a sub they got me to, to sub once and, and they liked me um, and then uh, Tony Garnier was the regular bass player and he he was playing with Dylan so he was gone for long periods of time. But um, every, every New Year's Eve, when they had a gig, they called Tony. It was his, his job. You know, I just, you know, I, like I said, I played it a lot. And uh, but it's was his, his gig. Yeah, that that Levon was the same thing. Actually, I never was officially in the band. Um, but uh, Mike Merritt, who I was subbing for. Um, once they, uh, once, once I had subbed it once, I, you know, Levon liked me, the guys in the band liked me, it it worked out good. So they, they kept me going and, and, you know, it's a thing. Once you get, once they're comfortable with having a sub, then the guy who's you're subbing for is more, more comfortable to, to take the, the gig off. So, you know, both of those gigs um that that is kind of how it evolved for me
1: um, and we'll talk more about Levon here yeah. in a minute too but by the end of the 80s uh your friend cheese Smith mm-hmm. became a part of the Saturday Night Live band mm-hmm. and then eventually you got you got a call to do that gig how mm-hmm. did that come about was he your entrance into the Saturday Night Live band oh
0: yeah um but let me just say back up a little bit. Uh, so GE was in our band, the Scratch Band, um, and like I was talking about lifting uh, the band to level, when he joined it was the, the same thing uh, uh, before Mickey. Um, and uh, so he's had a really powerful effect on my life. Um, when he, I had always, been a band guy. I'd always wanted to be in a band. I had never considered anything else in music, you know, I wanted to be in a band. Um, and then when when GE left, um, and he he just wanted to move to New York and um, and be a guitar player, when he left and, and got a gig, some gigs as a sideman, that kind of wow, that opened up a whole new world to to me. To even I never even thought of that, um, and uh, then I, you know, that's when I moved to New York after um, he and Mickey had gone. Um, so you know, GE leaving the band and and becoming successful is, is sort of I wanted to be like that. You know, um, uh, so where were we?
1: How, how did you get into the Saturday Night oh, oh with
0: that um, you know um, I think that Christine might have might have told George to call me um, but I'll tell you I was I had been in New York a few years and I had, had was working some I was doing done done a few records a few jingles um, I was getting by but I really wasn't doing real well and um I was, I was walking one day, uh, there's a nice place to walk. I was walking and I was out and about and I just kind of said to myself, boy, you know, it might be time to get real here. Not really making much of a living, not getting by. I, um, I dropped out, had dropped out of college years before. Um, and I thought, well, it might be time to just go back to school and get real and get a job. And I went home that day, like within an hour of I was having those thoughts. Um, I went home and on my I had a, a message machine back in the day, young people don't even know what that is. But um, uh, you had to go home to check your machine. And I went home. And there was a message from George. He, he always called me boss when I was in the band it's uh, funny uh, I had
1: Christine Allman on my podcast before and she yeah. actually mentioned that nickname too yeah.
0: um, because I was not the leader of the band but I was the guy who who like dealt with the own, the club owners you know I, w- I was the guy who collected the money at the end so they, they called me boss anyway so he's on the machine hey boss you know uh, call me alright so I called him up and and he he says, listen, we've got a couple gigs with the SNL band, um, and one of them's in this this bar out at the end of Long Island, and one of them's at Lauren Michaels' house, and um, they're gonna pay real good, and if they if they go okay, you'll do the show, all right? And my uh, okay, you know. Cause it was was not like an audition line up to to get the the best gig in town. It was like yeah, for once I knew the right guy at the right time. You know, Um, so I you know I you know I I had been working some. I I was certainly qualified to do the gig, but um, there were plenty of people who were. I was just very lucky. Um, That's how I got that gig.
1: How How long did you stay with Southern Night? Four years. Four years,
0: And I know
1: one of the great things that came out of that tenure is you guys did a live record with Buddy Guy. That's mm-hmm. still, to me, one of the best Buddy Guy records out there because... I
0: think it's cool.
1: He, and that yeah. was GE and you and, and the Saturday Night Live band.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Was that recorded in the studio or how, did you was, go somewhere? No, around? it
0: was two gigs at uh, Irving Plaza in New York, which was a... Uh, at the time, it was a, it was like a big, uh, a small theater or a big big nightclub, depending how you want to look at it. Um, and then two, two gigs also at, at Buddy's place. Um, In Chicago? Yeah, it's called... Legends. You know. Um, uh, so yeah, we played there two nights and, and previously two nights. And they, they just, I think most of it, was from the last night in Chicago, but I I think that, I don't really know, I think that they were called from all the shows.
1: Yeah, so during your time in the Saturday Night Live band, are there any particular memories or maybe musical guests you guys backed up that stick out in your memory?
0: No, you know, if you asked me about a particular thing or a particular person, I might have, an anecdote that I would think of, but I don't have like, oh, tell me some stories about SNL. I don't, and people have asked me that all the time. I don't really have anything um, like that, you know. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, about SNL. Uh, we worked, I wasn't really close friends with, with anybody in the cast. Um, I was friendly with, with all of them. They, but but every, when I it's one day a week really and um, you're uh, everybody there on that day is working they're they're busy you know even if they're walking down the hall they're busy you know they're in their own space uh, so we we didn't really get to hang um, you know it was maybe they those guys did with each other during the week I don't know but it was. Um, sometimes two days mostly mostly one day a week um uh, playing music
1: yeah but you ended up on adam adam sandler record
0: yes right and i adam is the person that i got to be quote unquote friendliest with uh, like you know um we're not pals for for a minute we were pals on the show there but um you know not not really close with him but yes uh He was doing a comedy album at the time, and, and, uh, you know, GE GE was involved with him, and and I I got involved that way.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and the Saturday Night Live band also did a record on their own during that time.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was really a a GE Smith album, but I think it was, I don't know how it was. I think it was a GE Smith band, um, or it was it was this SNL band, though. No.
1: Yeah, I uh, think Leo might have been on it. And,
0: oh yeah, but he yeah. was in the SNL yeah. band, you know.
1: So during that time and a little bit later, you got to play live with some of my favorite artists. You got to play with Odetta, mm-hmm. Phoebe Snow, mm-hmm. Hubert Sumlin. Mm-hmm. How are some of these, you know, musical legends, if you will? To work
0: with do you have a- well i uh, go in order let's see uh, Odetta was a really nice lady but she you know she was older she, it was like working for me it was like working with, with grandma you know but she was really sweet um, and uh, she said uh, she said to me oh yes the, you, you know this is Paul he's going to play the bass oh the bass it's like my magic carpet, you know. That's what she expected me to be, her magic carpet. And, you know, it was that kind of thing, you know. Uh, she was really, really nice, really warm. Um, again, I didn't get to be pals with her, you know. She didn't call me to go have coffee after the session, you know, um, but on the session she was, she was really nice, a nice lady, and uh, like Phoebe, Phoebe was was someone that uh, that I just knew from around town, and she um, she called me to uh, to play one day, and I did that for um, I don't know for a couple of months, uh, you know. But she didn't really work a lot, but she was she was a lot of fun. She was I you know to use the word i'll say it crazy um she was crazy in a really sweet way um i guess a lot of famous people are are that you know it's it's crazy to me or you but you know she's not really crazy in her world um but and she was uh eccentric i guess is um a better way to put it she was really a lot of fun and she was so sweet and smart um she she knew a lot about a lot of things and uh with the audience she was really clever and smart she she became somebody she was one of the first people that i saw in there there have been a lot of people that they walk on they step on a stage and poof, they become somebody else they become that person you know she became Phoebe Snow she wasn't Phoebe the person I knew in the car on the way to the gig she was you know that and it was really interesting to see um, and uh, but she was she was sparkling and really really charming on stage um, not that she wasn't but in a different way uh, and uh, you know so several folks, as you ask about them, I'll tell you the ones that that just turned into somebody different as soon as they hit the stage.
1: Yeah. Did you work with her around the same time you worked with Bo Diddley?
0: Uh, yeah, there was a a time it was like uh after I stopped doing the SNL, but I was still in uh, in New York, and uh, um, you know there was a period there that I was just like. I was still a freelance musician, and um, I was, uh, I, I say it all the time, playing with anybody that lets me. Um, and that's when I, you know, again, subbing with, for somebody uh, with Bo. Um, and that's, again, another thing that I got to do quite a bit over a couple of years. Um, Bo was a really sweet guy Again not you know like uh you know you you'd hang with the band people and go to the gigs and um like he didn't he didn't show up to sound check you know I saw I saw him do the do, during the gig he was really sweet and uh and friendly and we had a couple chats about Cadillacs. he liked he lived in Florida and he liked to uh he got old Cadillacs old like in the 60s and 70s, um, and rebuilt them. That's kind of what he does. I never saw one of his cars, saw a couple pictures, Um, uh, but uh, we talked about that. Um, But you know, like again, he wasn't somebody that I had over my house for coffee. He was, he was just a, you know, I was, I was working for him, and he was, he was another really, really great guy.
1: Yeah, so he is so much known for have a, having a very rhythmic sound. Yeah. And for a bass player, that must be a pretty cool gig because you can really dig in there and be part of that. Yeah,
0: but you know, um, an interesting thing about that, the, you know, they say the Bo Diddley Beat. He's the only guy that has an, a beat named after him. Um, so it's... Dum, 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 dum. That's what people generally think of as the, the Bo Diddley beat. They didn't really want me to play that. And like if you listen to the the song, Hey Bo Diddley, he kind of plays around that. It's kind of warped or morphed into that dum, 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 dum thing that, that uh, people play. So oh, let's do a Bo Diddley thing and that's what they play. But that isn't really the beat on the Bo Diddley record. Uh, he plays, he implies that and plays around it. Um, so when I got that, the first time on that gig, you know, they opened the show playing that beat, dun, 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 because that's what most people, what white people know him as, is playing that beat. Um, and But then, then uh, Margot, the MD, said, don't play that all the time, you know, play around it. And she, she's told, turned me on to that, you know, that it wasn't just that beat. I mean, I kind of knew it before I went in, but, but I was surprised that, that, I'm not surprised that they knew it, but I'm surprised that, that they, were, were, uh, they wanted to keep it that way and not, not make it the, the way that it had morphed into. Yeah. Um, so, um, that was that was a cool thing about that that gig playing with Bo and learning that, learning to play around that groove, uh, but still but still making it feel like that, but but not be that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned David Johansson before, mm-hmm. who you know Buster took point. X before that was. Member of New York Dolls, mm-hmm. was he your entry into getting to work with Hubert Sumlin? Because I know no. he did some work with Hubert too. No,
0: no, no. Uh, that was with GE. Um, uh, he uh, he just uh, he just got he got some gigs, um, play, like they were as a duet. Like it, at first it was like GE Smith with Hubert, and then, uh, so we did a few of those, and then it was, uh, Hubert featuring the G.E. Smith band, um, and, and it was both, uh, he was, he was a really interesting guy, um, nice guy, uh, black man with blue eyes, uh, which I had never seen before. It's in green eyes, (laughs) but, um, he was really just a a, a nice guy. Um, he had some some stories that I couldn't couldn't conjure for you now or make them sound as interesting as he made them. But um, he he was a lot of fun to be with. He was another one of those people that fun fun to have him in the room. You know, um, uh, Hubert was just a and what a guitar player! Not, um, not like Buddy Guy, like not a fiery guy like that. But he, um, he, he had a thing, you know. That uh, you'd go have to go and listen to some Alan Wolf records and and check it out because um, I couldn't describe how he played. But uh, he was, he was special and unique.
1: Yeah, I got the chance to see him live when I was still living in Switzerland. He was, uh-huh. well, and that was really special for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, around the same time, I believe you played on a really great record that I love, and that's Peter Wolf's Sleepless album. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything about how that job came about? I
0: remember. I've, I yes. Um, Kenny White was the producer, and it was in the summer it was the summer before 9/11 happened It was in July and he uh, Kenny called he said listen um, we've got a session tomorrow can, can you make it uh, well, I think so well it's it's with Wolf uh, Peter Wolf um, and and Keith's coming to play Keith yeah, Keith Richards, he's got, he's, uh, he's going to play, and and, I guess I can tell this story now. Um, he, uh, he said, Peter's calling in some favors. He got uh, Mick Jagger to sing on a song, and I think, I think it was Steve Earle that sang sang a duet, and Keith was going to play on a song. Um, and, uh, so he said, so anyway, um, tomorrow at, at 6 o'clock, um, he told me where to be. Um, and uh, so I went there. I was, you know, I showed up at 5.30 with my bass. Um, and uh, so, you know, Sean, Sean Pelton was going to play. And it. Sean was, was setting up. I go in there and set up. And, and he said, well, Keith's going to be here at 7. And his amp was was sitting there before, and he walked in at one minute before seven, uh, very professional, and um, so he he was just really friendly, really smart, and really nice, uh, and um, so that's I got to play on on that song, and it was a twelve bar blues, uh, but it, it went it went. Really nice. It was a lot of fun. Keith was standing in front of me as close as you are now, which is less than ten feet away. Um, just it was it was the greatest. He was playing and I was playing the upright, um, and and you know the other people were on the other side of the room. It was really cool. So we hung for a day you know, or an evening, um, and there was some drinking. But, you know, and, but he was, he, he never got any, any different than when he showed up. Um, he was, he was totally in control of, of, uh, um, you know, it, it wasn't like, like, he knows how he's perceived, Keith does. Um, uh, and he understands that and plays on it, but he was, he was all there, uh, when I was with him anyway. Um, it's really funny. If you listen to what he said and you had to get up close through his accent and stuff, you have to, to understand exactly what he said. Um, but when you figure out what he said, it's really funny and really smart and really interesting. And uh, But, you know, he was bigger than life, but he was just there. He was like that. I didn't walk onto a stage with him, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe when he got in the car to go home, he wasn't that like that anymore. But he, he was really great to be around. Um, and that's how I got it to be on that record. It, it, it came out good, I think.
1: Yeah, uh, it sure did. Yeah. And that brings us up to your stay in Leave on spans. Mm-hmm. How did that come about?
0: Same way as the other ones. Uh, Jimmy Favino called me one day. He just said, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm sitting here, I'm playing my doghouse. He said, good, because uh, I've got a gig next week with Levon if you want to do it. There are two gigs, actually. So, uh yeah, sure. You know, I didn't have to think about it too much, and I actually had um, uh, I had a, another gig um and I I I really wanted to do this thing so I I kind of burned the bridge uh which you know some sometimes you have to do that sometimes if there's a gig that you as a freelance guy you just have to say I'm sorry I can't make it to that gig because I'm doing this and usually people understand um but the bridge is burned because they won't call you again. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't regret that. Um, but, yeah, so Jimmy called me and said, you and I can get together maybe next week and run over a few things. So there was no official rehearsal even. And we were like, well, we might do this tune, we might do that. They were all bluesy kind of songs. Um, and a few that, that had a few changes that uh, he showed me. Um, but that was totally a feel thing, you know, and, and the first gig I, I played and, you know, Levon and I just clicked, you know, and, uh, um, I didn't know what to expect, but he, he you know, it, it clicked, we clicked. And, you know, after the gig, he, he, he I didn't have to ask, he, you know, he, he knew that he already had my number. He said, here, here's my number. If you need anything, call me. Um. So that, that, nobody ever did that. Nobody famous that, that I worked for ever did that. Um, and it made me feel great. He was such a gentleman and such a, he was. he was as cool as, as you wanted him to be, as you thought, you know, as you would think Levon Helm would be. He was, he was incredible. And I have a story about that.
1: All right.
0: Um, the f- first time I went on the road with him, we, there, was a, there were two gigs in, in Arkansas, and most of the band was flying there. But there was a bus going. Levon didn't care about flying. Um, so th- there was a bus going, and uh, like I said, most of the band were, uh, flew. But I I was looking forward to riding on the bus uh, with Lee. and um, So anyhow, the bus broke down, like in West Virginia somewhere, um, in the middle of the night. So we had to, um, like at at 4 or 5 o'clock, we pulled into this truck stop. And we just had to wait for the mechanic to show up at 8 or 9, whenever he showed up. so he could fix the bus. And so we're, we're just laying out on the bus, and Lee comes over and said, Bally, let's go. Let's go. I'll get you some breakfast. Oh, OK, sure. So we went in this truck stop, place in, in like, it was somewhere in West Virginia, with really rural place. And so we're sitting down to breakfast, and on is, really looked like Mr. Everyman. He was dressed like, you know, he was, if you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't think he was a famous musician and movie star. Um, but he was, and he was just there, he was cutting up with the, the waitresses, and, and they, were, they just thought, oh, what a nice old man, what a cool old man, and I, I loved that. That you know, they didn't know who he was, and but he and, but he wasn't. He didn't act like a famous person that that was like too cool to be hanging with them. He he was one of them. He was one of us. He was a human, um, and it was it was really great. And I loved seeing that. I loved that part of him. You know, if he was here right now, he you'd make you feel like uh, you were brothers. Uh, he just did, Jesus. Uh, I tear up when I think of him.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I never really got to meet him. I got to see him perform a few times. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even not knowing him, I feel I got this deep connection just through his music and just the way he presented himself on mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's no surprise to me why he became such a, an iconic person in American yeah. music because it's his playing, his singing, but it's this whole aura, this whole thing that, yeah. 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 You, you told me a story once that I love and I try not to give too much away, but I would love for you to recall it. And you were on stage once and the band is about to play a song you don't really know. Oh yeah. I love that story. Would you mind telling that?
0: No. So we're playing. It was. Um, it makes no difference. That got. Yeah. Somebody. Somebody. Uh, Levon must have called. it, and say, "Hey, let's play this." And um, there was a. I hadn't played it before. There were. There was a chart somewhere, and it was, I had a pile of charts. Um, but it wasn't organized or anything because most of the songs, they very rarely was called for a chart. But anyhow, oh let me let me get the chart for that. Let me find, it. and I couldn't find it at that moment. This, you know, they're about to say one, two, three, four. I couldn't find the thing, and I didn't know this song very well. So, you know, it starts, and um, it's not really a. a a simple one four five tune. it's not a complicated song but uh, it has quite a few it, sections it has, yes, few, few different sections and there are a couple of different bridges and it, it um anyway so we're we're playing it and i you know played a verse and a chorus and i, I made a couple of little flubs like whoop, up, get to the right note you know didn't, didn't wasn't a train wreck but it wasn't wasn't great um and then Levon at some point he's playing the drums standing next to him and he he says is you know I couldn't hear him but he said watch me and I, so I read his lips watch me and uh, okay you know because I, I was behind Jimmy Vivino who was on the guitar that's who I would like to be watching but I couldn't see him so, and Levon after that I just watched him and through watching his body and where he made accents and the way that he, he played the song with his body. I, I never made a mistake and I have really, I've told you, I feel like he had some kind of mojo, some kind of thing that he put on me for that song that I didn't make any more mistakes. I just knew, the right thing to play. And I played it. That's the story.
1: (laughs) And although Rick Danko mainly played an electric bass Mm -hmm. in the band, he wanted his bass player in the Leave on Hell Band to play an upright bass. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I I read in his, in his, Lee's first book, uh, This Wheel's on Fire. um, I remember reading in that, uh, that he, he, didn't, he didn't like electric bass and he said something like, well, when the Fender bass came in, it changed everything in music because um, the bass, it, it just was a different kind of sound. So it made everything louder and you, you lost the, um, the earthy sound of it, the way that the drums uh, interacted with the bass was different because the bass was um was just different if it uh and if you know about uh about an upright bass and and drums now if they're not amplified uh the bass is like the mm-hmm. sound and and the drum is, drum is psh, 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 punches up in uh, frequencies above that um and somehow uh modern music has mostly changed from Almost that. flipped it around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, flipped it around. So anyway, leave liked the old way. <laughs> and, and so yes, in his band, he he wanted to have a upright bass.
1: So him as a drummer and you as you know, building the rhythm section with him. How was he to, you know, play with what is there a special dynamic? Or how did you just, you know, feel doing that gig how well
0: you know it like the first time it was like like I said no rehearsal just get on this you know I ran a couple of things with with Jimmy uh, a couple of days before the gig so I had an idea about a couple of songs we would play but you know it was just like okay set up the bass and Lee, there was a guy who set up the drums, um, and Lee just, uh, you know, came out, met him, hey, how you doing, um, came out and started playing, and we just, uh, fell into it, and yeah, you just, uh, like, he's obviously, uh, the, the focal point, so, you know, my job was to try and Play, play in a way and be a way that he was just comfortable in doing what he did. And, you know, after a little while, you you feel like there are subtleties in the rhythms um, that, you know, you just, just feel naturally. And, and he he had such a natural feel. And it wasn't, you know, he was rock solid, but it wasn't like metronomic like some people uh some and it's a, it, that's a good way to play too. But he he, he just swung, uh, and uh, so I learned so much playing with him the first time, and then uh, I learned from the first time. I realized, you know, pay attention and keep your hat on, cause cause every time I played with him, it was just such an experience playing. Like it was different than than anybody else that I had played with. Um, and luckily, he liked me too, because that's why I was there uh, more than once. Um, so yeah, he was he was easy to play with because it was it just felt so great, you know, always. He never really said anything to me about play this way or play that way. Um, no, never anything, you know, just do what you do, and that again, uh, people that, you know, like you get to a, to a level, and, you know, you're supposed to do what you do, very rarely do you get to a gig where they want particular things from you, Um, sure, if it's like a Broadway or reading gig, you know, you play what's on the paper, and, and, uh, do that, but but as an interpretive playing like we do, um, nobody ever says do it like this. G. E. used to say to drummers, we had a different drummer. He, he kinda of, "Well, G. E. Uh, what should I do? What should I do? Just play great," he would say. "Just play great. Don't don't think about anything. You know, and that's what he that's what he wanted. Just be yourself and be the best you can be, and that would be good. You
1: know." Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of those gigs were at Levon's barn, Mm -hmm. but then also there were some road trips. You mentioned the one where the bus broke down, Mm -hmm. but one of those road trips took you guys down to Nashville and you guys performed at the Ryman Mm -hmm. that was recorded for a PBS special and Mm -hmm. a live record called Ramble at the Ryman, which was the last album that came out before he passed Mm -hmm. and which won a Grammy. Mm Mm-hmm. And you were on that, yeah, record. yeah. Do you um, remember anything about that particular
0: that particular thing? Well, that was actually the second time that we played at the Ryman, uh, but um, yeah. And I didn't know that they were going to DVD it uh, until I got to the gig. I guess everybody else knew, but uh, anyway, um, it was it was just another gig, you know um but i mean at the rhyme it was it was like a, a big deal to us uh but um i remember thinking like uh you know between the the people in the band and myself there were like pro- probably uh 20,000 gigs had been played uh you know b- between all the People in the band, and I, I thought, wow, well, of that, those gigs, that's the best one for me. Uh, you know, it was really a, a great night. Um, but we just did what we did, and a few stars were, were there, and it was, it was wonderful, and I just feel feel really lucky to have been there, feel lucky to have been been in the barn playing with Lee.
1: You also got to record with Levon in the studio a few times on Mm -hmm. an Arlen Roth project, on Mm -hmm. a Christine Ullman project. Mm -hmm. How was he in the studio? Was that the same or was that
0: He was the same. He was just a really sweet man. When he sat down at the drums, he played great. One thing that I might have told you we were doing this this recording for a guy. and there was a guy who was the quote unquote producer he was really the guy that that had the money the guy that, the money guy um so so we played this song it was a 12 bar blues and went in to listen to it and we, the guy says well um that was good but i and we played we first time we played it Lee, Levon played what he, you know, like himself. He played, that kind of Levon band thing. He played it, um, and what, what I just imitated wasn't it. But anyway, um, so the guy says, well, yeah, that was good, but what I kind of had in mind was, he, you know, kind Of imitated that kind of sound, and Lee was so sweet and so oh, yeah, I get it, absolutely. And he was, like I said, the nicest guy in the world, you know, he just charmed everyone there. Um, he was real, it wasn't like charming him by make believe, he was just who he was. I understand you, absolutely this is great. Yeah, let's do it right now. I'll get it. So we go back in the studio. He plays exactly the same. And the guy loved it. (laughs) Now, maybe the guy just said he loved it. Maybe the guy didn't know the difference. But anyhow, we went out and after he and he I know because I was playing with him he played pretty much exactly the same Uh, didn't change anything but uh, the guy loved it and that's the thing you know studio guys will tell you know stories of like you know the producer a lot of times doesn't know what he's asking for you know, play it a little more green or whatever. You, you're not not talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they'll ask for sometimes things, and, and there's always stories about, well, I did this, or I, I, you know, I touched this dial that didn't do anything, and then the guy liked it, whatever. Um, this particular thing, that's w- what he did, um, and it was it was great because i realized that he didn't do anything other than um be nice to the guy
1: yeah Uh, you know i think as a producer the most talent you need to have is cast your project yeah call the right guys Mm -hmm. know what these guys can contribute Mm -hmm. to the project and then your job is easy yeah that's how i my way of producing is if I hire you, I know what you bring. If I hire Lane Williams, I know what he brings to the session, and then uh, absolutely the job for me is easy because I'm, you know, you're going to produce your own parts the way they need to need to fall. So yeah,
0: yeah. well, this guy had hired Levon Helm, uh, and but he wanted him to to not be Levon Helm, and he, you know, so but that's that's a whole other story, and I'm not giving any names about that.
1: So. Uh. Two years ago, we went down to Muscle Shoals and did a 40th anniversary celebration of the last waltz. Mm -hmm. And I asked you to be in the band for it, which was, you know, no-brainer for me due to your connection with Levon. We had Bones Malone lead the horn section who was in the horn section of the last waltz. And I tried to cast the band in order to being able to Getting as close to replicating their sound as possible, and obviously the hardest part, to the biggest choose to fill in a way, I think is Levon's, you know, because he had such a unique and identif- identifiable way to play, and I asked Glenn Williams to play drums on that show because I knew he was. For everybody i know probably the closest kin and could really you know do a good job doing that out of your perspective how how, how did you how was that show for you first of all you going back to that song book mm-hmm. that you played with Lee on a long time but then at the same time obviously not having leave on next to you was that bittersweet thing or just like a joyful thing to be able to revisit how did you perceive that project
0: well you know I I really liked it a lot I I I loved the music I didn't really think about I didn't think about uh I didn't think about Levon too much that night you know we we were just playing music and that's how, how you know how we played this, the music with Levon, didn't really think about anything else. So I was pretty much trying, not trying, I was just in the moment, uh, playing with playing with Lynn, playing with you, playing with the people that were there. We were playing band music, but uh, I was just playing music with my friends, you know?
1: So obviously you had a lot of great drummers to work with. You're- career yeah. starting with mickey curry sean pelton mm-hmm. uh levon obviously and i love that rhythm section with you and lynn to me that's like you know the funky chester rhythm section me too. or whatever we call me it too. what what makes the two of you work well what do you think that might be from your your perspective
0: i don't know uh we um it's interesting that uh, so much of the music is the spaces between the notes you know that they're, they're they're as big or bigger as the notes that you do play and we just feel the spaces in a similar way now uh, lynn is so great uh at feeling the spaces with anyone he makes he makes everybody sound good you know so i, I don't feel like what we have is unique um, because I feel like Lynn does that with everybody. and I, I like to think that I can do that uh, with with a lot of people like you know yeah, you know, as you become a little more accomplished, uh, you you learn to do that. You learn to, to, to just sense what the other guy's gonna do. What will make them sound good? what will make you sound good? what will make you sound good together? And It's just a feel thing, and we feel a lot of this stuff similarly yeah. or you know in every moment like like I said he you know he, tomorrow you could have put him with a different bass player or you know ten different bass players, and he'll make everybody sound good you know that's that's what he does, yeah
1: yeah. So I think about eight years ago, you moved to Nashville after being based in New York for Mm -hmm. a long time. What made you move here?
0: Well, um, the music, work was slowing down in New York. There there was just less and less work and um, less for me. Uh, And um, so I I I just felt like it was time for a change. Um, truthfully, uh, at the at the time, my my marriage had broken down, that is, was, had fallen apart, and I had wanted to move to Nashville like twenty years ago, um, and my wife at the time, my wife, uh, said, "No way, we're not moving down south. Forget it." Just and at the time, I was so in love, and. Just forget it, baby. Just forget about it. Don't even think about it. Uh, sorry I mentioned it. You know, And it was real. Like, a, you know, okay, you don't want to do it. Uh, I've thought about it, but if you don't, okay, fine. Um, but then when that relationship fell apart, all of a sudden I realized, well, I could do now what I didn't do 10 years earlier. And... So in doing that, it also put a period at the end of that relationship for me, which was for me it was at a really good time, uh, and also you know I had I had met a few people when I the the two times we played uh, at the Ryman, which was the except for one other time that was the only time I had been in Nashville. Um, uh, I had made a few friends and I really liked the vibe here although you know like I said I didn't get around at all I just was just playing the gig and meeting the people that were around but I li- I liked it here um, so I, I just wanted to move and I did
1: yeah and you got you got to record and perform with a lot of people down here including amazing rhythmmaze really Sta McC clinton. yeah Joan L Monster and the Tosh Maholics, which is which mm-hmm. cool cool band mm-hmm. you guys have down here with with Tom Britt and uh, well thank God you did because that's how we met yep and yep uh, uh, we've had the chance to you know w- working together in the studio and sometime life and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be much more of that coming yeah I actually know there is yeah <laughs> so I look forward there to is. that. And I would certainly like to thank you for spending this past hour with me here talking about your career. Is it an hour already? I uh, guess so. It absolutely, absolutely <laughs> is. Time, time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Yeah. And hopefully it was not too, uh, too much work having to recall all that. I sure appreciate it. No, that.
0: I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, so much stuff. You asked a question that I, I hadn't really thought about. And, and uh, so thank you for that.
1: Yeah, well, you're very welcome, and I just wish you the best of luck for everything that'll uh, that'll come. Okay. This was the 42nd episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to check out some of our earlier episodes and subscribe to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour podcast on iTunes or look it up on YouTube, TuneIn, Stitcher or SoundCloud. That's it for today. See you next week.